My name is George Mann, author of Star Wars Myths and Fables, and you're listening to The Living Force Podcast. Welcome to The Living Force Podcast. We are brave, Your Highness. A Utini production. We will not condone a course of action that will lead us to war. Episode 40, The Queen's Shadow Roundtable, Take 3, Part 1. You Jedi are far too reckless. On this episode, new book reviews on Utini.com. Padme, clean this droid up as best you can. And the Utini team tackles the Star Wars novel Queen's Shadow by E.K. Johnston. I am Queen Amidala. <laughs> This is my decoy, my protection, my loyal bodyguard. And now, here are your hosts. Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Eilerson, and Dr. Charles Hankel. Hey, everybody. Also, the audio is working, so that's good news, guys. That's oh, sweet. so excellent. Yeah, right, we're gonna see get... little, pretty little bars. That's nice. Everyone, a couple minutes to click. We'll see who we got. Alright, direct video link is posted. Good. Things seem like they're relatively stable, all things considered. I put our direct video link in a thread of our original tweet, so. Okay, sure. Good, I'm gonna post this in, in the patron discords as well. Now I see three live users. So hey, we tripled! <clears throat> Triple. Fantastic. They went and checked on Adam. Is he awake? Is he okay? Is he alive? We should text him. Do we have his number? Can you no. text overseas? It's a, it's an Australian number. So you gotta like, like get his like six? Me or something like that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. How's that work? Can I text him from my iPhone, just like a normal iPhone? No. Can I iMessage him? No. I don't think so. Adam, can we text you? Are you here? Can you hear us? Is, are we shouting into the void? Into the void. I hope so. Is anything real? I don't think so. Then we're just. It is weird doing this in the middle of the day. It is weird doing this in the middle of the day. But I can't leave this worked out. This is so strange. No. How strange is it that we're able to do this in the middle of the day? And not only that, this is the only hour that we have together for the entire week. Yep. Freaking insane. Like that's possible to do. It's <laughs> freaking two thirty on a. What day is it? Monday? Monday, yeah. Monday. Oh, my God. I don't even know what day it is. That's not good. Hey. Oh, Emma's at the grocery store. Shout out. Hey. What's up? Nice. Nice. Yeah. All right. A couple people popping in. Looks like we got six or seven live folks now. So You know what we're going to do, then? Let's I think we're going to pop it in. Let's pop right in, everyone. Let's pop in to episode 440 of the Living Force podcast on this glorious Monday afternoon. I am one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and with me, finally... Reunited is the squad, the doctors. Dr. Corey Helton, hello. What is up? You, oh amazingly. <laughs> Holy crap. I'll talk about that in a minute. And Dr. Charles Hankel, hey, buddy. Hey, hey. How are we doing, gentlemen? Listen, Charles has been in immortal hell for weeks, <laughs> it sounds like. I just, yeah, I just worked 88 hours in the ICU uh, this week, so that was fun. That's a lot. No, it wasn't. Nope, not at all. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be spending my Listen, one day off. Can we can we talk y'all. about for like let's talk about for like thirty seconds the exploitation of residents in medicine. Can we talk about that? Let's do it. <laughs> That's my favorite topic. Oh gosh, yeah. It's just not good. It's really not good. 
Yeah. Was I, that I it? Some, I read some <laughs> that's, that's about it. it. Yeah, that's it. That covers that's it. it. <laughs> that's it. That's all I can publicly say, you know. But uh, it, no joke, though. I read somewhere that, like, on average, like, residents, all doctors that work for hospitals, particularly residents, generate, like, on average, like, two and a half to three million dollars a year for a hospital, right? I don't know if this is real or not. So if that's true, and we all make only, like, 50 grand, this is pretty average for the whole country, that's 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 not a good percentage. It's, it's just not it's great. Just not, no, it's not. I, I think, Charles, you work. You're you're getting paid less than me technically by hourly. I, I calculated my my hourly wage is like is like fourteen fifty or something like that, which is it's <laughs> awful, man. It's awful. I don't even want to calculate mine. You know what I want to do? I want to talk about like, Queen's Shadow. I want to. I want to escape. I want to escape this universe for a while. All right, everyone. Right. Well, Charles, you are so in luck because, as our patrons demanded. This is our third redo of the Queen's Shadow Roundtable. We'll go over the history of this in just a second. But first, I want to give a quick shout-out. Because since last week's show, we have another new patron. Guys, it's Paul Matthews. Welcome. Paul Matthews. What up, Paul Matthews? We've seen you in Discord, man. Um, It's been great chatting. Uh, You've been reviewing on the site for a while. So welcome to the Patreon level. We're hoping to get out some good content for you soon. Not that good, though. No, we got to keep the bar <laughs> relatively medium so we can always advance. That's right. That's right. Set the expectations low. Manage your expectations <laughs> of Utini. Precisely. But if you are relatively new to this podcast, you may be wondering, Queen Shadow, didn't that come out last year? Why are we doing a roundtable, which we usually do for new canon books, on Queen Shadow? Well, hypothetical question person, uh, last year when Queen Shadow first came out... <laughs> We attempted to do a full roundtable, and when I say attempted, I mean we recorded an entire roundtable, and that audio got, like, lost, deleted, corrupted, like, something bad happened with Queen Shadow, the right? The curse right. of Queen Shadow happened. And, and the best part is, not just once, but twice this Exactly. Happened. Because the first time twice. we had, like, five people on the team, this is back when... We had larger roundtables. They were a little less um, organized. So then afterwards, Charles and I said, hey, listen, we'll do a one-on-one roundtable again uh, and pretend we don't know each other's thoughts on the book. And we did it again. And like Corey said, it got deleted a second time. So we figured out. A second time. I think we, you know, technically, I think that means that we've talked about Queen Shadow for more time than any other Star Wars Uh, books. Absolutely. No question. That's Um, ridiculous. But we decided that it was cursed. We moved on. Um, we wrote a review for the site, but we didn't talk about the book anymore. And then at the tail end of last year, we decided, you know what? We're, we're starting a Patreon. We're getting some good community support. We'll throw a Patreon goal of an, some amount of money. And if they hit that, we'll do a Queen Shadow podcast again. Maybe we'll hit it by the end of 2020. And we hit it in like a week. So <laughs> yeah, we did. Y'all wanted it, and we are here. We all reread and or re-listened to the book in the last couple of weeks to refresh everything. Charles got new prompts, and we are gonna do it. And I am amazed that it's finally happening. It's uh, everyone pay very close attention to the audio, to the bit rate, everything that needs to go <laughs> right. Just watch that very closely. If, if audio just cuts out, guys, just tell us because we, you know, it's gonna happen probably. Well, in my this, pow- my power is probably gonna go out. And a lot of things we're trying to keep this from happening. One, our schedules that you mentioned. Two, Corey, you just drove like three hundred miles hauling a jeep. You're going into work <laughs> in like an hour. 
and you oh haven't slept in the past like 20 hours like we both oh just finished the book again in the past like hour <laughs> like, that's right it's been yeah it's been absolutely crazy like I- i'm gonna show i'm gonna show a picture of this really fast just on the screen this is my jeep and i towed it with my forerunner it looks crazy and it barely sat down i towed this for uh 300 miles i guess i didn't have trailer lights the whole time so uh, luckily i did not get a ticket um and i also didn't die so that's good um yeah it was a fun little day been up since like 6 a.m proud of you man man. also i'm on night shift right now so i have to go to work in like two hours (laughs) (laughs) and everyone if this all sounds like the kind of chaos you like in your star wars universe and you are new and just like some queen shadow podcast showing up Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and tune in each week. We're usually going to talk about all the new book news, everything coming up in Star Wars. Um, But this week, we're going a little back to the past. Please, if you like this show, leave us a review on iTunes. We're going to bump those up this year. Uh, It helps people find us in the algorithm. And head over to utini.com where we have reviews, articles, and book profiles on every single story in the Star Wars galaxy. Now, gentlemen, before we jump into Queen's Shadow, uh, which I really want to dedicate most of our time to... I want to shout out some book reviews because every week we like to highlight some book reviews we get on Utini. Since our last show, we got 17 new book reviews. 17. The notifications for the first time ever became annoying. Yes. (laughs) Like, so I I got, I got, that's such a good sign. Like, I've never been annoyed. I'm I'm always just like, oh, these book reviews are coming in. But this, this week, the book reviews came in so fast, couldn't even read them fast enough. And I was like, Jesus, I'm trying to do other stuff. I can't get these book reviews right now. It's crazy. So keep that going, though. We love that. Please Uh, annoy the crap out of this. (laughs) We're only going to go over a a couple this week because, again, we want to get into queen shadow but i want to highlight three uh number one we have jedi murphy uh, a great discord user friend of ours reviewed a new dawn which got a lot of chat in the discord this week giving it four stars and says i love learning about the beginning of hera and kanan's relationship you can tell in rebels how much they love each other and that they've been building this beautiful thing together and much of that is explained here i really enjoyed getting more ray sloan seeing the imperial point of view enhances so much for me however Some of the best parts of this book, in my opinion, were the depictions of feelings and events around Order 66, both from the galactic point of view and from Kanan's eyes. It's utterly heartbreaking. And finally, they say Hera is a superb example of what everyone should be. Mm, No argument here. That's right. My wife, this is the, uh, this might, I think this is the only Star Wars book that my wife has read and I have not. Interesting. Whoa. Well, hey, you get four to five stars here. I know. I need to. Put it on the list. Uh, let's say, Corey, you want to hit that second review from MCAL? Absolutely. This is another one from MCAL. Done a lot of reviews on utini.com. I think uh, he, you might be up there with like some of the top reviewers, man. I think you might have some of the most. Uh, he reviewed The Art of Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Gave it five stars. He said, I was given this for Christmas this past year and could not love it more. Everything about it is beautiful, inspiring, and brilliant. It's my first art of book, and I can't wait to own more. It's truly magical and a timeless treasure for years to come. Would be 10 out of 10. Uh, if I could make it, uh, yeah. So art of uh, art of books are super cool. Um, have you guys seen some of the art of Rise of Skywalker stuff? Yeah, the leaks mm-hmm. that came out. They sold it in South Korea, um, yes. and apparently people put up hundreds of images. And I just wanted to I wanted to talk about this review one because we don't talk about the art of books a lot. But That's two, right. a lot of people on Twitter got really freaked out this week about. Wait a minute! All of this was in the film and then got cut, and. I just want to say publicly here, while art of books have a lot of concepts that may have been filmed, may have been in scripts, they kind of have free reign to just create stuff at the top, right? That's right. Um, 
Phil, uh, I forget his last name, but he's one of the art guys in Lucasfilm, put out a great Twitter thread about this, saying, like, when you're first making concept art, you're kind of throwing everything at the wall. I mean, think of Macquarie's original stuff. That's um, right. So while a lot of those images in the Rise of Skywalker book were awesome, I mean, we had stuff with this character called the Oracle, which may have even gotten to shooting on Mustafar. We had stuff with Chewie being a prisoner and Ben interrogating him. Like, a lot of stuff there. We we at Utini would say, regardless of your feelings on The Rise of Skywalker as a film, don't get too frustrated or um, angry about stuff in the art, art of book because some of that stuff may never have even made it to a script. That's yeah. right. That's right. And we're, I think we're finally reaching the time after The Rise of Skywalker. I know I am personally where, like, you know, I, I'm getting over the things I disliked and I'm, I'm thinking about the things I liked more and, like, I'm starting to fit it into my own head canon, which I think is an important thing to do. Um, you know, it's not worth being angry over, guys. Just be happy and choose to, choose to like stuff going forward and, you know, get over it because it's not going to be fun if you're just mad every time you think about uh, a film that you weren't as crazy about. So it's an important lesson to stick to, especially in times after films like this, when we start getting, you know, the novelizations coming out in a couple months and that's going to be a little different. There's going to be a lot of rage about, well, this should have been in the movie and try not to get too caught up in that because, you know, you guys might've heard our, our conversations, um, some of the things that we were unhappy with uh, in our, in our, um, three-hour review of the film and you know it's important to, to let go of those things and, and try to enjoy it which is what we're all going to do here so um i can't wait to get my hands on the art of uh rise of skywalker i don't own any of those books myself either and i've been wanting to buy that one so um i can't wait for that to come out i don't yep. know about you guys be coming out in uh in march absolutely can't wait now charles you want to speaking of novelizations that we love and make us very happy do you want to round out our book reviews yeah, sure. So Anthony J reviewed Revenge of the Sith's novelization, gave it five stars, um, and I guess said that this is the gold standard. This is why we read movie novelizations. The book takes what you know and love and then runs with it. You aren't reading the script or a word-for-word rehash of the film. Oh no, you're expanding on the characters in new and interesting ways. You're digging deep and seeing the strings being pulled behind the scenes. Most important of all is you're going straight back to the movie you loved in the first place with breathtaking new realizations and insight to a story you already thought you understood. Put perfectly. Yeah. Great. Yeah, Well-written absolutely. review for a pretty perfect book. Uh, and yeah, as, as we were saying, the Rise of Skywalker novelization, we're going to see where it fits in that pantheon in a couple months. And I can't freaking wait. And everyone, if you want your reviews on this show, if you want to add to those notifications we're getting all week, look up your book on utini.com, scroll down to the bottom, and add your own star rating and user review. You can also email us at livingforcepod at utini.com, tweet at us at livingforcepod, or join our utini Discord community, which is exploding every day, by going to utini.com slash discord. Alright, last couple things before we get into this book. Utini Updates. Everyone, the final Bounty Hunt Patreon-exclusive episode for The Mandalorian is up. Uh, me and Charles talked about what we thought about the whole season and what we want looking forward. And keep an eye out, because, friends, we are going to be doing some Clone Wars recaps coming your way. Uh, as of right now, I think we're going to do two big episodes. One about the first three seasons, one about the second three seasons, to kind of get you ready for Season 7 in less than a month. What? So, yeah, keep an eye on those Patreon feeds. And if you missed it last week, the next book for Legends Look Back, another Patreon show, will be Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Uh, you can order it right now at its official book profile at utini.com if you want to catch up for the show. 
Absolutely. These are both really fun Patreon-exclusive shows. We have uh, productions of Utini. The, uh, the Bounty Hunt is kind of like an extra content in the expanded universe. And, you know, even though it's named Bounty Hunt, you know, we didn't create it only for The Mandalorian. We really created it to talk about other stuff in the EU as well. So we're going to try to hit some Clone Wars stuff before that comes out, which is really exciting because um, – I didn't follow the Clone Wars when it first came Me out. Me neither. Did you guys? Yeah. No. So, like, digesting it episode by episode is going to be unique and fun, and I can't wait for that. No question. And if you want that content, join us over on Patreon every month. For just $2, you can join our Jedi Initiate level where you get early access to episodes of this very show. And for 5 bucks a month, that's where you become a Guardian of the Wills and you get those extra Legends Look Back and Bounty Hunt episodes. All right. Everyone that is live right now, uh, including Adam Dyson, Timothy Dunlap, Patrick Ortiz, Emma, Juliana. Uh, Adam, we're glad to see you got a little more sleep and are now spreading hashtags. Good to see Charles. Hashtag more Charles. Hey. Hashtag Charles for president. <laughs> um, we love you guys. Hang tight for just a second. Wait, do, I, do I need to resign? I feel like I might need to resign. I feel so loved here. <laughs> no one does this when I go somewhere. <laughs> well, I'm leaving. Well, you know what? We're going to take a really early, early break to see if we can get Corey to stay on the show. And then we will be back with all things Queen's Shadow. Be back in a sec. Hey, look at these guys. What do you know? Is your pal Watog talking about, uh, about uh, what these books and stuff? Oh, I don't know about that. But uh, but I saw this book later, and that's my face on it. That's right. That's the best, the best book you could imagine. It's a... Uh, it's the novelization for The Phantom Menace. Uh, yeah, it's the best movie because it does the most water in it. Oh, uh, yes. I mean, some of these books, it has a, has a picture of Lil Annie on it. Or the or the girl. I, I don't know her name. But, but, but one of the books has water. So it has to be a good book, right? So so make sure you go on the, on the Yutini, whatever. And, and you get the book that has the, the picture of your buddy water. The, the Phantom Menace novelization. Uh, and then you come and see me. And, and we, we roll some chance cubes, we read us some books. It'll be a good time. <laughs> That's right, okay. All right, back to, back to these guys. We are back live, and I appreciate these lovely chats we're getting. Uh, I, except for you, Timothy. He says, into the bin with Corey. Hashtag not my Charles. Appreciate that, buddy. Thanks a lot, man. Uh, oh, my gosh. But, but I, there's also some uh, Corey for Prime Minister and Corey for the Senate. So, there you, you know, go. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, cheers, everyone. Uh, but I am glad we are back. To talk about this book here. Wait, no, sorry. This is the wrong book. This is my advanced copy of Queen's Peril I got sent oh, today. Rub it in everyone's face. Sorry, sorry. Uh, huge shout out to uh, Disney Lucasfilm. Alyssa <laughs> Hurwitz, their publicity manager, setting up this uh, uncorrected advanced proof of Queen's Peril, which is the prequel to Queen's Shadow. Yeah, that was just a brag. I'm very happy that I got you it. You know what very I have excited. to say? You it know wasn't what even I have a to humble say? brag. That was just a brag. No, that straight was just up. a brag. Uh, but we are actually here to talk about this book, everyone, Queen's Shadow by E.K. Johnston. And as we always do at this time on our roundtables, Charles, I am sending it over to you, man. Wait, wait. You have to you have to show off your shirt. Oh, wait. Yes. Yeah. For Eric. everyone watching on the video stream, I am wearing, boom, our brand new We Are Brave shirt with all our handmaidens on it. Love it. Look at that. Love Look at that. So Look at that. Much. It's beautiful. Wait, wait, wait. I got to pin him. Hold on. Hold me. on. Wait, wait, wait. Pin video. Am all right, show it again. Am I pinned? All right, there we no, go. Now you're pinned. Look at that. Boom. Gorgeous. Beautiful. It's, it's got all the handmaidens on it. It's got 
Padme's blaster oh, on it. I love it's it really so sick. much. So we're, we're, we're going to start doing these, I think, for uh, all the big all the big uh, reviews and stuff that we do, the big roundtables. And we created this one in honor of Queen Shadow, which is really fun. So if you want an exclusive Queen Shadow shirt, head over to TeePublic. Uh, and Utini's got some good stuff up there. we got to get it to the author. We need to get her shirt size. I've been trying to contact her. Uh, E.K. Johnson, if you get sent this podcast, if anyone knows her, we'd love to send you a shirt. That's what we got. That's right. All right. Let's Charles, jump in. Take us away. All right. <clears throat> let's talk about the most important thing that Padme slash Queen Amidala's head is not as big as Watto's on the Phantom Menace <laughs> cover. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is not wrong. No, okay. Let's let's jump right in. We're going to open this like we normally do with a quick synopsis. So Queen Shadow by E.K. Johnston uh, follows the story of Padme Amidala's struggle to transition from Queen of Naboo to Galactic Senator. From foiling the Trade Federation's attempts on her life to fighting for aid for those in need to rocking some of the most fabulous outfits to date, it soon becomes clear that navigating intergalactic politics might prove to be every bit as challenging as serving as monarch. Now, boys, let's rate this book on a 1 to 10. Don't tell me why just yet. We'll come back to it later. Um, Eric, let's go to you first. I'm going to go 8.5. All right, and Corey? I'll give it a 7.75. Interesting. Never done that, Never done that before. No, ooh, breaking new ground. A little, a little, little more than a 7.5, than a but maybe a little less than an 8 for me. Okay. I, I was going to go 7.5, but now that I know that we can really break it down, I'm going to go 7.6. <laughs> 7. So. 7. Ooh, 7.6. All right, all right. We should start doing that. We should... Uh, we should we should look up what our actual scale is on the website and, and like name it because I think the names fit the numbers better than the numbers even do. So we should do that sometime. That's true. Yeah. Love it. All right, we'll do that moving forward. But let's uh, let's start with some overall questions. So the first thing I want to do is since this book actually isn't new, we're recording this like a year later. I want to look back at the time period for when this book first came out. So that was the beginning of 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of represented the first time that Disney really ventured into the prequel era with with the books, specifically with the canon releases. What did it mean to you at that time? And what do you think the reception for this book did to shape the subsequent releases that we've had since then? That's a good question. Yeah. Prequel era was really exciting because, I mean, they announced that they were going to start doing prequel era stuff and um... – like this was about the same time that didn't Master and Apprentice come out pretty close to this also? Yeah, they were both in like the same yeah. quarter of the year, I think. Yeah. yeah, they were. It was all around celebration, so that was a pretty exciting time just in general. Um, I mean, I thought it was exciting to see the venture into uh, into the prequel era, just period. And then they got we got that shocking announcement that they were going to reboot the Clone Wars, which is awesome. So, yeah, I, I think that we're really seeing in the last couple of years. Uh, I mean, a resurgence for the prequels and the prequel characters. I mean, obviously, Clone Wars has been popular for years, but this year, with it coming out, and last year, so much Battlefront 2 content was all about the Clone Wars. Um, there's an idea that Project Luminous and stuff are going back even further to see, like, the more the Jedi at that, in the High Republic times, which, again, are more towards the prequels. Like, I really think that the people like us that grew up on the prequels are being like, yeah, we love this era, so now if we put the work into it to, to really increase the storytelling... People are going to love it, which shows with Queen's Peril coming out this year as well. I mean, we're going back to Padme. Padme is getting so much attention, and I freaking love it. Yeah, absolutely. So then, Eric, you kind of answered my next question. You are 
a lover of the prequels. Corey, are, do you feel the same way? Where are you coming yeah, from? Yeah, absolutely. Your... Yeah, definitely no scorn here. I mean, I love the I love the prequels uh, a great deal. I mean, as films, they have their cinematic issues. Yes. Right? The dialogue is, <laughs> is bad. A lot of the acting is kind of rough, and you know, it's not it's not all the actors' fault. It's you know, some of it's George's fault. There's a lot of a lot of a lot of blame, <laughs> I guess, everywhere. But the prequels have their issues. But yeah, I think they're definitely like a, a place of of happiness for me and. I would argue that the cohesive story that they tell in the prequels is even better than the than the than the sequel trilogy. So I mean, I, I love this era. I freaking love Obi Wan. I'm totally with you, Charles. And like Thank young you. Obi Wan is really exciting. I love like peak Jedi Order stuff and discussions about how uh, arrogant the Jedi were and stuff is really exciting to me. And then you have Plagueis, and now we have this whole thing that's going to be revolving around, I guess, uh, Palpatine, and apparently he had a kid, right? So there's some more exciting stories to be told in the prequels yet. And I mean, this is crazy that we're 20 years after these movies were made and and like still getting more prequel stuff is awesome yeah, and here we are and i'm right there with you guys huge lover of the prequels depending on the day revenge of the sith might be my favorite movie in all of star wars and i'm excited to be talking about this stuff that's um, right last big question before we kind of dive into the characters i wanted to get y'all's comments on this so george lucas you know say whatever you will about him, but he was progressive in a lot of ways, um, all the way back with A New Hope and his portrayal of strong female characters, uh, obviously with Leia, and then more recently, even when we get stuff that's come from George's work, we have Jyn Erso and Ahsoka and, of course, Padme, who we're talking about today. So why do you feel like it's so important to see those strong female characters reflected in the canon novels uh, that we're seeing in the films as well. Uh, I think it's it's. I mean, it's hugely important. I think that as much as you know, we we got some female representation in the older films, like Padme. Her, her speaking specifically of her, usually kind of functioned as a tool for Anakin. Right? She mm. she existed because he needed a reason to turn dark. And I think now we're seeing that narrative shift. We're seeing in books like Queen's Shadow and Queen's Peril, she is the star of her story. Um, because of who she is, not because of what he needs her to be. Same with like Jyn Erso um, in Rebel Rising. like She is the star of her own story because of what the Rebellion needs. She leads the team in Rogue One. You know, Ahsoka, I mean, everything she does, she is definitely a tool for helping Anakin grow in the Clone Wars, but she has her own narrative that is growing um, so far beyond that. And in stuff like Rebels and her own novel, she's growing. And you just look at the fan base in the last couple of years, how much power... And confidence a lot of the female fans have gotten, like in stuff like Looking for Leia, the documentary that came out this year on Sci-Fi. It's it's incredible to see them all be like, "Yeah, I loved Leia, but now I do, I don't have to just be Leia on the playground." You know, it's not my only choice. I have a whole spread of characters that are all awesome in their own ways, and I'm excited to, to dive more into how they do that in Queen Shadow because I think it's very different than some of the other novels as well. Sure. Yeah, I'll totally. I'll totally back all that up. I mean, we had Princess Leia in the original original trilogy. And I think. I think having such strong female leads in Star Wars, like I like that. I like that we don't really have sexism in Star Wars. Do you think that's a fair statement to say? There's not like like in in canon, right? Sexism doesn't really seem to be a huge issue, right? There's definitely racism, and mm-hmm. I guess I guess from the Star Wars point of view, it'd be really more like xenophobia. Xenophobia, yeah. Yeah, because it's multi species <laughs> and stuff like that. But like. I don't really, there's not really been a lot of themes of like women, you know, lacking empowerment in Star Wars. And I think that's an important message, and that's been awesome because we've had that since the very beginning. Yeah, like Leia 
takes the gun and says, into the garbage chute, Flyboy. Like, she takes over the mission. We have Mon Mothma is leading. We have Hera right. is is the lead. Like, no one ever says, are you sure she can, like, you know, are you sure she can do this? It's always like, you're the leader? Great, got it. Like, right, right. That's it. Yeah. It follows it without question. That's a really beautiful message. Yeah. And I've always enjoyed that. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and jump into characters then. Let's talk about some of these strong female characters. And I want to start off by talking about none other than the handmaidens themselves. Woo! Now, first of all, can anyone here name them all? And Eric, do not cheat Eric and can. look down at your, your Utini shirt from T Public right now. I want to know if you can do it. All right, here I'm, we go. I'm certain, I'm certain Eric can do it. I'll Let's see what see. I can do. We got Padme, Sabe, Rabe, Yane, Sashe, Verse, Corde, Dorme. Jesus. You're missing oh, one. I, and Irte. Irte. Okay. All right. Irte. Good I think Lord. you got them I all. Could, I couldn't have done that at all. I couldn't have done that at all. We should, like, walk, can, we, can we walk through them? <laughs> we yeah. can walk through them. Yeah, because actually my next question kind of plays into that. So we can talk about them individually. I want to know, do these handmaidens feel like distinct individuals to you all? Or yes. do you kind of feel like they're a little bit interchangeable? Mm, to some degree. I mean, I feel like they're definitely interchangeable. Like, they're definitely I mean, that's kind of their point. not interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are interchangeable because that's the point, right? But they're also very individual, and I, I appreciated that, especially on this reread. I noticed yeah. it much more. Um, however, the challenge of their names the, and, and the mm-hmm. things that make them the most interchangeable, being their names and they look alike, yeah. makes it hard to make them stand out more. And I, I, I took it's taken me a long time just to figure out what a couple of them are. So Eric is like our resident <laughs> expert in who the handmaidens are. So can you walk us through like kind of the key characteristics of maybe most of them or at least at least the most important ones i suppose yeah yeah here, we'll do so we'll do like some tweet length like small descriptions right because i agree hilariously the point is that they are all kind of in the background and can fade in which gives them power so they shouldn't be recognizable to most people but as readers i i, I see how that can be difficult for some folks but basically we got sabe is number <laughs> one right she is like the right oh, yeah. hand of padme She's got her spine talent. She's kind of your all-around best handmaiden. She's the one that's going to be flipping with Padme the most. She was Keira Knightley in the movies. Uh, she's <clears> the best. Uh, we go to, let's say, Yane. Right? Yane is the one. She is wants to help children. That's her thing. Because we find them at a point in this book where they're kind of done being handmaidens for the, the main crew. So what do they want to do after? Yane wants to help children. And with her is her partner, Sashe, who's the youngest... Uh, but they are definitely in a romantic relationship, and she wants to help Yane kind of start this, but she also wants to go into politics because she thinks that she can help Naboo further. She was also one that was tortured during the Battle of Naboo by the Trade Federation, and she didn't give up any names. So she's covered in scars. Who's that? Sashe? Sashe. Sashe. Sashe is the young one. That's the, yes. that's the one I can't remember. She's the youngest. Um, Rabe is the, is the uh, second best shot, or third best shot. She's like kind of a more warrior person. Um, mm-hmm. She's the one that uh, didn't ever double, but she was kind of like head of a lot of more combat operation stuff. Um, and I believe she does, um, music as well. Uh, music, she's going to be the musician, right. which mm-hmm. is like very heralded on Naboo. I love that they like mm-hmm. music and art are like way yeah. more revered than we politics. Got a lot of, we got a lot of Naboo culture in this book, honestly. Oh, that absolutely. Really good. Which leads to, uh, Erte, who's the artist. She wanted to find a way to incorporate art and science with her whole blue algae thing to kind of help out the ecosystem but while also creating visual art. So I thought that was kind of a cool way of commenting hey, on it. Which one is that? Airte? Airte. 
Airte. Airte is the blue algae one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the one that creates that. Um, <laughs> let's see. Which ones do I have? Like, now I am looking on the shirt. I, okay, now I'm on the new ones. And then when Padme goes to the Senate, she gets new handmaidens. We get Dorme, mm-hmm. who is in Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith. Um, yep. She's the one that is kind of the new – she doubles a little bit, but she's kind of now Padme's new Sabe. Like, she's the right hand. Mm-hmm. Um, she's is the she that... the one? Is she the one on the on the little transport when she's about to go to Naboo with Anakin? Who's like, I'm worried about you, my lady. Yes. and she cries. Is yep. that her? That's Rose Byrne. Yeah, that's Dorme. Okay. Dorme. Uh, she all also right. is the one that does the outfit switching. She's the yeah. one that like coordinates all that and does the makeup and stuff. Corday mm-hmm. is the is the double that dies at the beginning yeah. of Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Verse, who we don't see in the movies because she dies in the same explosion in Attack of the Clones, is like a hacker. She is, I believe, the niece of Panaka. Um, I think that's mm-hmm. what they said. Uh, and she's like the digital hacker uh, that kind of holds down the fort. So, man, that was that was an impressive recap. That's our that handmaidens, like, baby. That was really solid. Uh, so then, yeah. okay, my next question is, who was your favorite and why? Because my personal favorite was Pabe. Corey, what did you think about Pabe? <laughs> Pabe. Pabe. Yeah, okay, I'm not, I'm not that stupid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I if I would say I had a favorite like. There were things I enjoyed about all of them. The complexity of the relationship between Sabe and Padme was very fascinating to me because, like, I think E.K. Johnson did a really great job. Uh, she so she comes from fan fiction, right? Like she she wrote some fan yeah. fiction, I think, before like she got into Star Wars stuff. And I don't know if she wrote any Star Wars fan fiction. I don't really know that much about um, her background with fan fiction. I just I remember seeing that on on Twitter. I think that she did some fan fiction and. There's something there's something about fan fiction that is good at capturing like kind of intimacy like mm-hmm. like it's 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 not it's not erotic intimacy it's something different like mm-hmm. it's it's hard to hard to explain in any other way than just friendship like intimacy and and that relationship between Sabe and and Padme is very evident like like almost it is almost romantic in some ways but it's also much deeper than that so just thinking about the complexity of that in this book was really fascinating to me and I enjoyed that a lot yeah, I'm going to double up on Sabe being my favorite as well. Uh, Team Sabe all the way. And I think you nailed it, Corey, uh, by saying the word intimate, right? Their friendship mm-hmm. is intimate. <clears throat> and I think that in popular fiction, we are not used to seeing friendships of that level a lot. Like, That's right. It's mm-hmm. always like a little bit of arm's distance because they don't right. want it for a romance that there's not. That's right. But I think that you're right. Johnson does such a great job of showing that Sabe would die for her. And she says that repeatedly, even to Tanra, yeah. who becomes her romantic right. partner in this book she's like oh yeah. I'll, i will always choose her and she'll always choose naboo and that's just how life right. is and that was a really beautiful way to put it too i mean she said that like like because she, when she was talking to padme about her relationship with tanra like she said something along the lines of uh like he knows that he'll always come second no matter what and like he, yeah. he's coming into the relationship knowing that and that was that was a fascinating way to put it because yeah. i don't know she's she's so loyal and it, that's that's very cool I, I enjoyed that a great deal yeah it's it's um, like it's friendship i i would i would honestly put it up there with a level of like han and chewy of like Mm, we yeah. are life partners and other people mm-hmm. will come in and out but you are my person and yeah they decided that again at an age of like 14 years old when padme first got elected um which is said to be exploring queen's peril so that that's one of the reasons i was so excited <clears throat> for that book but their relationship is just really incredible as an honorable mention though i will say um i like sashay a lot in this book i i like the idea of the youngest person and having the most political ambition. I really think that's a cool concept that keeps coming up repeatedly. Like, Hey, Naboo is a great paradise of a planet. And what do they do? They listen to the youngest women 
and right. to lead them, and that's how they're doing right. well. So like I really the, like the, that. The, the idealism of the of the Nabu is not looked upon as as uh, like as being naive. Right? Yeah, like right. They yeah. they cherish that that idealism, which is a very interesting way to think about politics. It to is because yeah. you have Sio Bibble there, who's like, you know, in most planets would be a more traditional <laughs> grumpy politician. old white dude with a beard. Like <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, Sasha has some great stuff in here as well. What about you, Charles? I, I think my favorite is Sabe. I mean, she's the most important, I think, the one that we learn the most about, and um, and I think who may still have more to come to learn about. And I'm excited about that prospect, so I think she's got to be my favorite. But what blew me away was, so when I read this book the first time, I did not listen to the audiobook, and this time around I did, off and on, to help me get through it. And so I knew her real name was T-S-A-B-I-N. And I said Sabin because I assumed if your name is Sabe that it must have come from Sabin. But the audiobook proved me wrong. Her name is Tasabin. Yeah, Tasabin. That's how she it. Why is she not Tasabe? It's a great it's, no, it's <laughs> Why a great is the question. T made silent all of a sudden? Is it because know, it has I, to be duosyllabic maybe? I think maybe. it needs to be... I don't even know what the hell that word means, Eric. Two That's syllables. Like... <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? Duosyllabic? Duosyllabic, yeah, like monosyllabic. Man, that's a, that's a hell of a word. I needed that on a word of the day calendar. There you go. Duosyllabic. Man, strong vocabulary usage from Eric Eilerson right there. That was excellent. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I got the vibe that they wanted their names to be different enough that like it almost wouldn't be recognizable to their friends and family mm-hmm. in some ways. Hmm. Like Even close Maybe. people that know them. I don't well, know. And the naming conventions on Naboo are so interesting in this book, too, because Padme says at the end, like, <clears throat> I forget who she's talking to, but she says, on Naboo, people are called what they want Clovis. to be called. Oh, Clovis, Clovis, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Jackass. Be- Clovis. <laughs> I hate him so much. Um, yeah, she says, people on Naboo are called what they want to be called. And I find that to be an interesting thing as well in this book, uh, that all the p- handmaidens took names based around Padme when they became her handmaidens. And... Even Sabe says Tisaben, her birth name, is now something she uses as an undercover identity. But she, mm, right. even her family knows her name is Sabe now, and it's not questioned. And I found that to be, I mean, again, in the times we are right now, where a lot of like questions about what's your actual, what's your real name, who, are, where are you from, and not, like all these kind of markers of self identity are valued so much in this book. And I think that's interesting. Um, again, for a lot of readers that may not be like us. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I think that you guys kind of hit the nail on the head. I was kind of just messing around, but I, it is really interesting how how it's just that straightforward. Like, you know what? We call you what you want to be called, and if you are so loyal to Padme that you want to change your name to Sabe, like, that's who you are now. That's your new identity. So I love yeah. that. Um, crap but bag. Sabe... Call me Crap Bag. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> careful. Careful, Corey. That might actually start happening. Um, <laughs> Hashtag where's crap bag? <laughs> Not my crap bag. Crap bag for Senate. Jesus. All right. So I mean, with Sabe clearly being the most important, being the right hand of Padme, do you guys think that the other handmaidens were jealous at all of that relationship that she had with Padme? Do you think they felt second tier mm. at all? Maybe, maybe in some ways. I mean, there was a there was one scene in the book where it talked about like that they had spats occasionally, mm-hmm. like it was. But you know, they're any, still teenagers. Group, that's right. Teenagers in any group of teenagers are gonna bicker. I mean, yeah, sure. But I think so I don't know. I mean, it's interesting uh, seeing them at the end of the term, right? I think maybe Queen's Peril might illuminate that a bit more because we're seeing them after they they kind of know 
they, they, they know the deal after, what is it, four years, right? Two-year terms. Um, so after four yeah. years, they basically get what's going on. So I don't think any right. one of them are trying to question Sabe at this point. But maybe at the beginning, I could see them. Yeah, you know what? And uh, something else that's kind of interesting is I don't think that they were really depicted, the handmaidens really depicted as as having a sort of seeking approval-like relationship with the queen. Absolutely. Like it, wasn't, it, was, it was more of a, a selfless servitude kind of relationship mm-hmm. rather than a we want to be best friends. You know what I mean? So yeah. yeah. Sabe and, and Padme just got particularly close. And maybe that was even just because of the trauma that they had of, of, of her swapping places during that, that critical time. Yeah. Like that was her role. You're going to be, you're going to be a double. So naturally you have to be, you have to know my voice. You have to know my gait. You have to know my Mm -hmm. thoughts. So when you're in each other's thoughts, I mean, I feel like the other ones are like, all right, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But Sabe was clearly, you know, on another level, with Padme and we're, we'll kind of come back around to that a little bit later on but I want to move away from the handmaidens as fun as it was to kind of learn all of them and really get that next level of knowledge for the people that you're seeing in the background of the films I want to go to some of the other senators that we spent some time with in this book and there, who else would I start with other than our lord and savior Eric <laughs> Bail Organa baby <laughs> Bail That's Organa right. yes um, oh, so he played an actually really big part in this book, and Pivotal. I think rightfully so. Pivotal, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, first of all, let's just open up. How great was his entrance into this story? It was classic Bail Organa, man. So like, awesome. Coming out of the dark, cape flowing, being like, what are you doing here? Oh, <laughs> saving so someone's cool. life. Yep. Like yeah. a champion. Yeah, he's... It was a great entrance, and I liked seeing it from Padme's point of view too. Like, we—that's one of the things I like about Star Wars. We know so many characters that whenever someone is introduced for the first time to another person, we know what a big deal they are, and we know that they're cool. But she's like, Senator Organa, what in the world are you doing? Like, he's doing rebel shit. What do you think? That's right. (laughs) Creeping around in the shadows. Well, so Bale proved himself to be capable many times over in this book and also in the movies, but there was one thing that he did in this book that I thought was really telling. And that was that he recognized that Padme had switched with one of her handmaidens. He is one of two people in all of the Star Wars stories that we have that has been able to do this. All right. With the other one being none other than Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn. What do you think it says about his character specifically that he was able to recognize that? Or do you feel like this was a throwaway detail? Uh, I definitely don't think it was throwaway. Um, I mean, he's a straight-up master. I think that's, that's yeah. what it says. He's quiet but observant. That's why he was so useful to the Rebel Alliance. Is, I mean, he's he's just... I don't know. Like He, he has such an aura about him that he's, respe- he's well-respected as a senator, but also, like, He's in control of a lot of things behind the scenes, and I don't know. I think that comes along with just just his character in general. Is, is yeah. he's a very a quiet, observant sort of, you know, hidden magician type of character, I guess. And I also think it goes back to what we were saying earlier about um, the prominence of more young women in Star Wars. Like Padme always says, the best part of the decoy, why it worked, was that no one was really looking at her. Everyone was mm-hmm. looking at the outfits. Everyone was looking around her. Every, like This book is all about people underestimating her because she's a young girl in the Senate and she uses that power. And Bale 
looks at her as a person. I think that's how he can notice. He doesn't look at the outfit. He doesn't look past the young girl. He looks at her because he <laughs> respects her. And because yeah. he's looking that purposefully at an equal, he can see who she is. And I think that's a, and I think that's what makes him honestly such a good father for Leia in the future because yeah. he's like, I'm going to respect you as I respected your mother, as I respect Bria, as like, I think that he's just an overall very respectful sure. dude. Yeah. Yeah. I, do you, so was it, was it implied, tell me if I'm wrong here, was it implied that he knew that, that, that Padme had just come from spying on them walking in the garden? Was that implied? It might have, I don't know I, if he knew maybe? that. He knew he was off, she was off doing something. Yeah, I don't think he knew exactly what, that she was spying, but it was definitely he that knew was how I interpreted. Something. That's how I interpreted that scene when he recognized her. Not that just that she was a decoy, but that she's obviously coming from the same direction he was coming from, and that Ooh. like he put mm. two and two together all all at one time, and that's why he had the little smirk. It wasn't. I like it. it. Wasn't it wasn't just because like he recognized her, but it was because like. It was him putting two and two together and recognizing that everyone had severely underestimated Padme Amidala. I thought that that's how I interpreted that entire scene. I think that makes sense. I totally dig that. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys basically overall hit the nail on the head. I love the word observant and that he he truly sees people for who they are. And keep in mind, I think that also applies with uh, Chancellor Palpatine because we know Bale was one of the people who founded really the Rebel Alliance and. I think he saw Palpatine for who he truly was too. So he's yeah. an incredibly important character. A uh, quick shout out here to sh- uh, about the deleted scenes in Attack of the Clones. If oh, you've we'll never watched there. them, okay, cool. So a tease, if you will. Yes, we we're gonna cover a lot of that coming up. Awesome. Um, so just to kind of round out our questions about Bale, why does he work so well as a tie into the larger story? Because we've be- we've seen him used. A lot, I think, in in legends and canon, um, in that manner, uh, to just kind of serve as an anchor for something that's a little bit more ancillary into some of the main material. Uh, why do you Why do you guys think that's the case? I mean, I feel like I feel like Bill Organa. You remember when in, in the solo movie, um, what's her name? What's what's the what's the the kind of villain that wasn't a villain? The redheaded chick's name. Infus Nest. Infus Nest. Remember at the at the end of end of Solo, Infus Nest was like, uh, like, like you should come join. He's talking to Solo, and she was, you should come join us. We need leaders mm-hmm. like you or whatever. And I, th- I think that sums it up better than anything else. Is that like there needed to be strong leader like characters in the Rebel Alliance from the beginning in Star Wars, and it only made sense that. Some of the leaders from when the Empire was alive, in or, I mean, prior to the when the Republic was alive, I mean, like prior to the Empire's inception, was like, like those people had to carry over the legacy into fighting against the Empire, right? Yeah. So you had to have you have to have characters that were, you know, quote unquote good, you know, before it was cool to be good. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and and I think Bale also the more canon that is established about him, we learn that he plays the game really well. You know, exactly. he knows he how to play the politics. Um, he's a he's a seasoned man that way. He's also, from Alderaan too, right? I mean, yeah. the, the 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 stereotypically neutral planet that doesn't mm-hmm. believe in any kind of conflict because they're all pacifists. Like he just fits the bill perfectly to serve a really good role in the in the rebels the yeah. alliance. And for readers and viewers, he has the instantaneous shortcut of being the adoptive father of Leia. So True, even right. if you don't know much about him, you hear Organa and you're like, oh right. He's the guy that raised Leia. So he has a direct link to a main character. So I think that's what writers can use him pretty easily. So even if you haven't read a bunch of stuff about Bale, 
you can at least get the name and then immediately latch onto him as being a good guy. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, well, let's move from one of our favorite senators to maybe one of our least favorite, uh, Rush Clovis. Anyone maybe, here a man. fan? All right, so what, we're at about, what, 50 minutes on the recording. We can mark this because, man, fuck Clovis. God, he's the worst. <laughs> he is he really so is. bad. And He's I'm, so scummy. In the, the, uh, the, the little scene we got at the very end where Pad, Padme said something like, how dare he assume like the status of our relationship and uh-huh. like like plan a kiss on me without my consent. That was a beautiful way to put that. Is yeah. like it's a very he's modern entitled. way to look at it. He like, thinks he's he entitled. Yeah. He's the guy at work that's like, Hey, we've been staying late ordering Chinese for three weeks. Like, I assume we're gonna bang, right? Because like Because we're getting I'm paid. We're getting paid to be here, so that means that it's yeah. means sex, right? That's and what I, it means. And yeah. I think that again, that that is another very real thing that's put in this book like the scene you're talking about there Corey. like i could tell a woman wrote this because i'm like this has probably happened to you or you know someone that it's happened that's right listen i don't know that there are any women that this doesn't happen to because like men suck all right and yes and and they don't understand boundaries at all and it's such a it's just such a this is really coming to light i think in our generation more than any other generation and we have such an age of like talking about consent and stuff like that even in medicine charles i'm sure you can back this up like it's so important that like we talk to our patients about consent especially my pediatric patients like you know you're supposed to when you talk to somebody that's under under 18, especially like like 15, 16, 17-year-old girls, like you're always supposed to have like a, a time where you ask, ask the parents to like step away so you can talk to the patient alone by themselves. Yeah. And like I always talk about that stuff, especially with, with, with young women is because like, like, listen, it's okay to say no and you should you should feel comfortable and safe saying no because like – like it's a thing. It's such a thing. Like mm-hmm. dudes are awful, and, and Clovis is, is such the such the perfect example of that. And it's so funny that Anna can beat the shit out of him in the Clovis. Oh, it's, one of, it's <laughs> so satisfying. It is. It is. It's it's most satisfying now. Like Anakin, yes, Anakin was a giant whiny jealous baby in the in the that arc in yes. the Clone Wars. But like, then that moment where but, don't use your Jedi tricks. He goes, fine, I'll just beat your ass. <laughs> like, <laughs> can we? So, so spoiler alert. Really quickly, for because people who haven't made it to season six of the Clone Wars, you probably haven't seen that fight yet. And in addition to that, you haven't seen Clovis's <laughs> ultimate fate. So again, spoiler alert: skip ahead thirty seconds. But when Clovis dies, dude, Anakin one hundred percent could have used the Force to save him and oh just did it. Yes. Oh, and like he just easily. fell to his death. And I was just yes. like, bro. Anyways, Good. yeah, but yeah, anyways. I think this this is a good. Uh, and again, all this to say we hate Clovis. He is really well written. I think that's that's yes. you hate him because you it, love it, to it, hate him. Yeah, it's not a quality thing. Um, but I think stuff like that because this book is a is a YA novel, and maybe some younger men would pick this up because it's Star Wars. Maybe they read Clovis and you're like, man, I hate him. Oh, wait a minute, I yeah. should not be <laughs> like Clovis. Right. You know. Yeah. That's good. It's an important lesson. It's important. It's an important lesson to to learn. I was actually talking about that with my my wife recently because um, this past week we went to a baby shower and it's the first girl in the family and and some of the women were talking about kind of you know what it's like to raise sons, right? Like mm-hmm. you know we used to not. I don't think I don't think previously you know prior to a few generations and in, in history I don't think we've spent a lot of time teaching teaching men about consent, young young boys about no, consent. We just don't we don't do that in our culture, like. And we should. We should do that, like, way, way more than we, we currently do. And so, I don't know. I agree. It's an important lesson to learn, and I think it's something as a society that we, we need to address. And, and seeing it in this book in such a realistic, 
plausible fashion between two, you know, work related adults was really good. I mean, Padme is yeah. a strong person. She had that whole conversation with Sabe about like, you know, should I pursue romance in my life? I mean, that was a very interesting conversation. So you could tell that she was sort of exploring the idea of, of wanting some kind of romantic relationship because she'd been so focused on her work and her mm-hmm. career and her politics like her entire life. And then like, you know, it was sort of implied, maybe at least to me, I don't know if you guys felt this way. It was implied that she was maybe starting to come around, come around to Clovis being yeah, that. Yeah, she had the idea. Ways. Yeah, she said yeah, that totally. Yeah. But but then Clovis goes and be, turns into a scummy son of a bitch, and she recognizes how wrong it is, yep. and just immediately has like a gut reaction, which is beautiful. It was really well yeah. done. And Absolutely. I think it's it's nice, even when we're even when we're reading something for a lot of us that is supposed to help us escape like real life. It's also nice to be reminded, even when you're you know having fun and, and escaping our world, to to be reminded of of things that reflect our real world. And I think it's nice to be able to see those lessons being taught in uh, this kind of media as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And I like um, it, you know, and, you know, at the end of the day, we're a couple, we're, we're three white dudes talking about this. So what the hell do we know? But like, you know, I, I have three younger sisters and I appreciate it. I appreciate mm-hmm. seeing this type of realism in Star Wars and I hope we continue to see it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm probably going to say this multiple times, both in part one and part two of, of our discussion, but like this book is, has very quickly turned to me like turned into like a staple of of feminine Star Wars t- to me mm-hmm. and like we don't have a lot of that in Star Wars Leia Princess of Alderaan is kind of down that that road uh, Ahsoka is kind of down that road a little bit too but like this book is like the most feminine Star Wars book that's ever been written and I really love that representation and I'm glad that we're getting like you know instead of you know, men writing women, we're getting women writing men. And I appreciate that. Like, Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun perspective to, to play with. Yeah. Um, well, fantastic. Let's, let's move on to the most important Senator of all, I guess, Padme Amidala herself. I mean, bow, bow, bow. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Sound the air horns. <laughs> <That's what> she <laughs> gets. This, this first half of the round table really is kind of going to serve as a character study of Padme because you take one look at the cover of the book and you know that she's what's most important in this conversation. So here's my simple question before we dive into the heavy stuff. Can y'all, Eric, you and I discussed this long ago in our round table and I don't remember the answer. Can y'all help me understand her name and how the naming works? Because she's Padme Naberi Amidala. Right, but is Amidala her parents' last name, or is Naberi her parents' last name? And it was Amidala a name she took as queen. I'm not understanding where all the names are coming from. Yeah, as far as I can understand, what you said, the last thing you said is correct. Her her birth name is Padme Naberi, right? And then Amidala is a name she took when she became a ruler. She just so like, chose it, like Prince. Yeah, she just chose it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there we go. What a great example. <laughs> because I remember a lot of times in this book, she says, well, Amadala has to go somewhere as like talking about an other, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming the name Padme, like when she becomes a handmaiden, Padme, to anyone not on Naboo, they may not know who she is. Also, that's just like a first name. You know what I mean? So it's not that like, wait, is that the queen? Like, no one really knows, but Amadala. I mean, there is a moment. Oh, I can Ray. hear Ray. Ray has thoughts. Ray. Calm down, Ray. I know. She's she's pretty pissed about this. The, the naming situation is stupid. I agree. <laughs> she doesn't right, like calm it. Calm down. She doesn't but like there, it. But there there is a moment in uh, <laughs> there is a moment in the Phantom Menace 
where I think uh, the the queen poser, whoever it is, I don't know if it's Sabe, turns to the handmaidens and says, like, hey, Padme, go do this thing. And it's always Mm -hmm. struck me as weird that she actually referred to her as Padme. But Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's an odd thing. And let's be honest, did George Lucas think of the naming convention at that point? Absolutely not. Probably not. 20 years ago. (laughs) So I think we're taking it. That's um, fair. That Amidala is something that she uses professionally, and I I don't think anyone, maybe outside the Handmaidens and even like Anakin, knows that her given name is Naberi. That that's that's okay. what I assume from it. Okay, I understand now. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep that in my back pocket. Um, guys, we're about to really dive into this. Do we need to take a break before we start talking about Padme in depth? I don't know. How you feeling, Corey? I'm good. If I'm you good. Ready, you know, let's you dive. Let's keep going. Let's, we let's, are pushing let's, right through. Okay, we are brave, so Charles. We are brave. <laughs> so let's talk about the character Padme overall. Um, I actually want to talk a lot about how she was represented in the films and then how this book was based on that and reflected in that. So um, I want to present you guys an argument, and I'm going to take you through it. And we're going to talk a lot about deleted scenes, etc., and I'm not trying to cause an outrage here. I just want to make a point that yeah, a right. lot of people mm-hmm. think that Rose's <laughs> character was was done wrong in the Rise of Skywalker because her and scenes were her scenes rather were uh, reportedly cut out and left on mm-hmm. the editing room floor. But I think the exact same thing was actually done with Padme in the prequels, specifically episodes two and three. And people just don't fully realize it who haven't taken the time to watch the deleted scenes. So I want to walk y'all through some of these and show you how much of Padme's story was cut out of the prequels. And y'all can jump in whenever you want, but uh, the train is moving, so keep up. (laughs) In Attack of the Clones, the first scene I want to talk about, it's called Padme Addresses the Senate, and it's when Padme is just a total badass and makes a huge speech to the Senate. It basically tells everyone to vote down all these security measures that they've been allowing that are basically leading up to the Clone Wars. Like, she fully predicts that the Clone Wars are about to happen and that it's inevitable if they keep up on this path. And it's just one of those, like, huge moments, I think, for her character where you see her really taking charge as a senator in front of the entire Senate, and we don't get to see it in the film. It was cut. It was gone. Interesting. The next thing I want to talk about, the extended arrival on Naboo. All right, that's when Padme and Anakin first get there. Some fun facts. Padme said she never saw a waterfall before coming to feed. I think that's fun. Two, mm-hmm. she states that she was not ready to be queen when she was elected. She she talked about that in this book. Anakin says that he heard that the people of Naboo tried to amend the Constitution to keep her in office. That's also stated in this book. Um, and then Padme reveals that she wanted to have a family after she was done being queen, but mm, that the new yeah. queen specifically asked her to become the senator again in this book. Mm-hmm. Like that's so true. many things from deleted scenes ended up in this book. That's, that's because E.K. Johnson really does her research. She knows yeah. her stuff. Yes. Yeah. Like there's 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 a ton of references. She must have watched Phantom Menace like fifty times. Like seriously. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, I think honestly, even just going through those couple scenes, Charles. I know we still got more to go through. This is convincing me more and more the more I learn about this stuff that this is a hot take, guys. I Uh-oh. do think the future of Star Wars lives better in long-form storytelling than movies, maybe. like I think I, that I agree. a lot of this stuff is, was cut out because, again, you, I mean, Attack of the Clones is already the longest 
well, the second longest Star Wars movie, right? The, so, the first cut of Revenge of the Sith was four hours. Yeah. And they're oh like, we can't God. do that, we can't do that. But I then we look at version. something. Can we have that, please? Right. And yeah. I think we can going forward, which is why Clone Wars works so well, because you can have those tender moments because you're not worried about a runtime. So Listen, there's my Star hot Wars, take. Star Wars does well as on TV. I don't even think it's a hot take. I think that's like kind of everybody's opinion. Just right a take. Now. After the success of well. The Mandalorian, man, yes. Star Wars and TV. Listen, I hope they I hope they like they they said they're not making a movie for three years. I hope it's like five years before they make another movie, and we just get a crap ton of TV because like Let's the go. story that you can tell is yeah. is fantastic when you got when you got seven hours to tell it. You know. Yep. Yeah. Um, all right, let's let's run through some more scenes. So Padme's parents' house is the next one. So Anakin mm-hmm. and Padme obviously go visit her parents. So we meet. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how these are pronounced, but her mother I think is Jobel. Her father maybe it's Rui. I don't know. Her sister so. Sola and her niece Rue, who we meet in this book when she was just born. Um, fun fact: you know they say that kids are a good judge of character. So in this deleted scene, the kids run out of the house, hug Padme, run right past a smiling Anakin, and start playing with R two. I just love that. <laughs> That's gold. That should have been in the movie. Um, but anyways, I think he's gonna be evil someday. Look at Droid. <laughs> Listen, the kids can sense it. That's, That's right. what I'm saying. Like, he goes to pet the dog and it runs away. Like, <laughs> um, But anyways, Anakin and Padme's dad go out and talk in the garden. And it's a total, like, dad cleaning his shotgun and lecturing his daughter's boyfriend moment. Except right. for the fact that the dad is a pacifist and the boyfriend is a lightsaber-wielding Jedi, which is to say it's not like that at all. And... <laughs> And it's like it's like it's like the the dad is like a circus performer in the in the in the the boyfriend is like a navy seal or something. Yeah, basically. Like and um and we see the dad reveal that he's a teacher at the local university and that he used to work for the freedom relief movement. Again, all stuff that we see in this book. Freaking hippie. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and then we get the next deleted scene, um Padme's bedroom. Calm down, you hooligans. It's not oh, what it sounds snap. like. Oh, snap. Oh, snap. Yeah, that's where we first learned that she's into choking, and then later on it gets oh. worse. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my God. God. Is this the – listen, I was, think, I was thinking about this on the on the way home. I was thinking about this on the way home because uh, when I just finished the, the audiobook, like driving the Jeep back. So, like, Padme has a Dorme who's like her, her outfit planner, right? Yeah. So did, did Dorme, like, like – kind of see that she's going off in this this romantic like getaway with you know the young <laughs> handsome anakin right. who of which padme has been wearing her little necklace of like her entire life right, her, basically. Her snapori, uh, yeah, the, or whatever yeah the little carved necklace yeah. that anakin made her so dorme saw that she's going off with this young dude and they're pretty close yeah. to the same age and stuff and she packed her that that the fireside leather, dress the leather black <laughs> choker like very <laughs> Pushed up bra yeah. outfit, like damn, Milady. Like, M- Milady, will you require the harness this trip? It's like no, <laughs> no, Dorman. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus Christ, that is oh, that is, that is oh god, we're getting off track. All right, <laughs> let's talk Train about keeps going, Charles. Also, let's talk George, about what George actually Luke, George Lucas also had to pick out that outfit and ask uh, uh, Natalie Portman to wear it. That's all. I'm he say. probably the did, only it's the but... only one he uh, talked about. So Anakin gets to see Padme's bedroom, including all the pictures on the walls. And that's what that scene really revolves around. He asks about one in particular when she's hugging these little aliens. And Padme explains that that's from when she went on a relief effort to relocate uh, aliens from a planet uh, that we now know was Shada B. Boren. Which, by the way, sounds like shouldn't be boring, which is hilarious (laughs) because the scene got cut. Um, 
but she reveals that all those refugees ended up dying because they couldn't live without their own planet's sun. So again, a huge, <laughs> cool story that was in this book came from this deleted <clears throat> scene. It's crazy. Um, yeah. Now we move on to Dooku interrogates Padme. This is still from Attack of the Clones. Again, Padme's a total badass. Demands Dooku hands over Obi-Wan. And Dooku is like, listen, I will do that if Naboo joins the Separatist movement. And I think that clearly shows that he respects her and views her as a worthy ally and potentially a deadly opponent. So, yeah, I thought and, that and was also fantastic. someone that has the power to sway an entire planet. Like, she's the senator, yeah. but like, yeah. she can't just say, yeah, sure. Like, but he knows that Padme has the influence. He respects her. I, I agree. Like, Absolutely. he's a Jedi. Yeah. As, as we know now in Dooku Jedi Lost, one of the most gifted Jedi that, have, that there have been, and he's treating That's her right. as an equal. Yeah. Because she's a badass. Yep. Yeah, she is. Uh, no way around it. Um, and now let's look at Revenge of the Sith. We're going to run through these quickly. The first scene, I don't have these names handy, but Padme tells Anakin that she's worried she's on the wrong side in the Republic and Separatist struggle. I think that's a huge thing to drop. This was like a this was like a 25-second yeah. scene maybe that got cut, but I think it's actually really yeah. important for character development. In the next scene, we're going to get to some of the stuff you talked about, Eric. So Bail Organa is there. Uh, some Jimmy Smiths got left on the editing room floor somehow. A crying and, uh, shame. It was. Too it is. Perfect. It's a travesty. But uh, what? Ba- what is this? I don't know this. What these scenes? Yes. Yes. Which, yeah. which, which is which is the which is the one you're saying that that they shouldn't have been cut at all? So these ne- these next few all all of these I think shouldn't have been cut honestly. But Baylor kind of reveals that a decree was posted that uh, put governors in charge of every star system in the Republic. So that's a reference to when the moths were brought back. And that's mm-hmm. we learn about that in this book, too. Quarsh Panaka was, was uh, elected for whatever Naboo's sector was. Um, yeah. And then Bale states that he and Mon Mothma are starting an organization within the Senate to oppose what's happening. And Padme's like, hey, don't say any more. Some things are better left unsaid. You're going to incriminate yourself. And then she ends up saying, like, but yeah, I'll join you guys. So it's a huge, yeah. that is the birth of the rebellion. Like, the, literally. The, the, the birth of the rebellion with Mon Mothma, Bail Organa, and Padme got left on the cutting room floor. Isn't that can wild? You imagine, can, you, can you imagine if Padme would have lived? Holy smokes. No, oh, dude. Uh, we'll talk uh, about that as, as, we as <laughs> when we talk about the end of this book. Like, but we'll get yeah, there. That, this, this book, I'm going to say now as a preview of that really hits on that one of the biggest mistakes in the history of star wars is killing padme yeah i think okay wow we're gonna unpack that probably next half yeah, of the round table episode. but uh all right the next scene so again we see the same group of senators uh discussing what is now formed as what's called the delegation of the 2000 a lot of people don't That's know right. about this this is how the rebellion actually started it was called the delegation of the 2000 and they were talking about how they were going to present basically a petition to the to the chancellor and padme says she wants to bring the jedi into the effort and the other senators vote her down um fun facts about the scene one of the senators who was a member of the delegation was named stream drinker and i just think that's ridiculous <laughs> sounds like a legends that. thing i want that as a nickname just call me stream, stream drinker. drinker two my favorite behind the scenes uh senator fang czar is in this Ooh. scene look him up adam dyson he has a super thick australian accent and it's amazing um, and then finally, one of the other actresses in this scene ended up, uh, fun fact, posing for Playboy in the year that Revenge of the Sith came out, and she ha- is on the record as saying George Lucas cut all of these scenes because of that fact. I think that's oh hilarious. That's, you know um, what? I don't doubt that. 
It might. Yeah, maybe, unfortunately, like, maybe. I don't either. Also, Carrie Fisher said that, uh, like, she made fun of George Lucas for because there's no underwear in space. Yeah, he's yeah. like, you can't wear a bra because there's no underwear in space. It's like, a I feel giant like, running joke. I feel like George is yeah. very clinical about eroticism and sexiness. He's like, well, if the story <laughs> calls for underwear, it can wear. Like, he views underwear <laughs> as like utilitarian. Like, even the dress that he makes Padme wear, which is like the sexiest, most objectifying thing since the Slave Leia bikini, he's probably like. Well, I mean, it, it makes her neck look good, which is like a strong line, and it's black because it's a dark scene. Like, he has no idea it's sexy. <laughs> As he says, like, there's no underwear until it's metal, and it's the only thing you're wearing. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Absolutely. Well, right, and the, the shapes on the scene... bikini are like a Greek myth. Uh, they use the shapes. Like, it's like, George, she's wearing underwear. <laughs> Buddy. <laughs> All right. The last scene I want to talk about. Padme actually serves as the leader of the delegation of 2000 and goes into Palpatine's office and presents the petition to him and is basically like, hey, all these emergency powers that you have, you're going to lay them down, right? Like, you're not going to keep using these powers. And Palpatine basically, like, gives them all the finger and is like, I'm going to do what I think I need to do. <laughs> and meanwhile... Meanwhile, Anakin is standing at the Chancellor's right hand on the opposite oh, side yeah. of the table from Padme. Right. It's a great little metaphor, and he, like, can't even look her in the eye. Like, she's looking at him, and he looks down, like, at the floor. Like, he's clearly ashamed. And that is such a pivotal scene to show the wedge that is being driven in between them mm-hmm. by this conflict between the Senate and the Chancellor. And, like, I'm so sad that that is something I have to, like, go to the deleted scenes to go see. You know is what there, I mean? I wonder if there's a supercut. I'm sure there is. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure there is. Yeah. YouTube must have that. But, <laughs> okay. There is a supercut of the deleted scenes on YouTube. Absolutely. And it's stuff like that, as we were saying earlier, you know, for all the yeah. flaws the prequels have, if you can't question the, the general world building and narrative structure of it all. Like, That's right. Because oh, this fantastic. stuff is so fascinating. Yeah, it is. I love going through it. And there's so much to unpack. But... Really, guys, we got to kind of round out Padme here, and I want to ask you a few questions. We'll see what we get to, but ultimately, who is Padme? I want to know what your answer is to that, because she references so many times in this book that she changes how she looks or acts or speaks, depending on the situation and what she needs people to think of her, but who is she ultimately? What is at the core of her character in your mind? I don't know. She's, I mean, she. I think. I think the truest Padme is the Padme we see when she's like, like trying to do humanitarian aid stuff, like mm-hmm. like the the very last part of this book where that she like rushes to help fix the aqueduct system with with Clovis, like she's truly invested, she truly cares, and those characteristics are are like carried with her character through the Clone Wars TV show, through the films, like through the books, like yeah. So I, th- I think that sort of selfless idealism is what speaks volumes about about Padme. I mean, she truly does believe in democracy, and like it's it's very pivotal like you said that that she you know is bright enough to ask the question are we on the wrong side like nobody else is asking that question in in star wars at all like she's the only one that's ever posed it which is fantastic i i agree i think the realest padme we see is the padme with sabe in this book whenever they have a a call i think that's that all walls are down i think the only people that have honestly gotten there are sabe and anakin um Mm. especially in the clone wars all the conversations that padme and anakin have I think, and why Anakin too? Because man, his his he's got some very strange political opinions. Oh, he does, he but does. I think I think it it might be as simple as he he's the love of her life, and I think that yeah. she can't again. He's an she, idealist in a lot of ways too. Yeah, I mean he was, I, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of the times he talks about his political leanings, it's the Chancellor talking through him because he's that's a good point. He's still young, you know. The only person that's talked to him about politics is the Chancellor. 
um, because the Jedi are so apolitical. But I think that Padme, ultimately, you're you're very right. She wants to help people, and that that is her service. Whether it's as queen, whether it's as senator, whether it's as um, aid relief worker, whether it's as rebel, like she she is the one I think of most people in Star Wars. Frankly, she is the one that always sees what is right. I think of all people, especially in the prequels. I mean, even 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 compared to like Bail Organa and Mon Mothma. Oh yeah. Mothma, Jesus, that's kind of hard to say. <laughs> Mon Mothma. Mon Mothma. Even compared to those characters, she is more perfect in a lot of ways because they were both caught up very much in the political bullshit, like in the Senate. yeah, like and they were like, oh, you probably shouldn't do things. And Mon Mothma is like kind of over the top pacifist to the point that it's kind of annoying. Like, mm-hmm. how did she become leader of the Rebel Alliance when, you know? But anyway, yeah, I think I think if Padme would have survived, I think she would have ended up leading the rebels. Because I think that she so. is the perfect yeah. balance of political maneuvering with um, action when you need to do it. Yeah. Fair yeah. Enough. Okay. Well, so, you know, we talked about how she asked the question, like, are we on the wrong side? But I'm curious what you guys think about this. So in the films, does Padme ultimately become the very thing that she lectures against for a lot of, of the early prequels? Mm. And the reason I'm asking this is because in that Dooku deleted scene that I mentioned – Dooku tells Padme the Republic cannot be fixed and it's time to start everything over. And Padme turns him down and refers to his movement as a, quote, rebellion. So mm-hmm. doesn't Padme basically become a separatist since she's seeking to undermine the Supreme <clears throat> Chancellor's legitimate, albeit evil, rule of the Republic? Mm-hmm. Like, were the separatists just right all along? Interesting. I mean, I still find the whole dynamic about Dooku very interesting because, like, like Dooku legitimately believes in his movement, but also he's got some ulterior motives. Also, like so, sure, yeah, it's it's very conflicting. It's, it sounds like what we know about about Palpatine and Dooku's relationship because we know very little. It sounds like what we know about them is that Palpatine essentially seduced him by that way of of talking about the flaws of the Republic and and yeah. that ideology is what led him to leave in the first place and all that kind of stuff. So. I don't know. I mean, did she become the thing that she swore to destroy? I don't know if I'd go that far. I think that she was starting to realize that the Republic was not sure what she wanted it to be and that it was a lost cause. I think that's the bigger the bigger picture. That's it. And I think we see that a lot in this book, too, because she is an idealist, and she says if people need help, we should help them. And the idea that people say, well, wait, you got to you know, fill out all this red tape. It, it it's, it's the political argument for so many people, even nowadays in the world, right? Like. can't we just do right and like no there's actually a bunch of people behind the scenes that are pulling the strings so i think throughout her time as a senator she sees that more and more and more and unfortunately at the point where she sees it most clearly it's already too late it's the same thing that happens with the jedi insidious like by the time they realize he's the dark lord of the sith it's it's already too far gone and i think that's the tragedy of both those situations wow okay guys well i think that we really unpacked that a lot for now. So. At least we we got to let Corey get to work, but there's plenty more coming in part two of this roundtable. I'm super stoked that, uh, fingers crossed, this audio actually makes it out there. <laughs> I, I don't know. No, don't speak yet. Yeah, and, and and next week we are going to get more into um, some of the, again, story points of Queen's Shadow. If you're new to these roundtables, our first part is always more about the characters, more about the thoughts, and then next week we're going to get into some overarching questions about the book as a whole. Um, but guys, awesome. Any, any last thoughts about any characters before we get out of here from either one of y'all? Um, we didn't talk about, uh, really briefly, we didn't talk about any of Padme's guards at all. 
No, that's which true. I that's found true. to be very interesting. Oh, uh, uh, the Panakas, Tanra. Yeah, the Panakas and Tanra. Tanra is the one with the eye patch in the films, right? Oh, that's Typho. No, that's Typho. Oh, that's Typho. Yeah, oh, Tanra is doing the book. I can't keep them all straight. I can't keep them all straight. Um, I will say that I really enjoyed the dynamic of the guards and their like extreme loyalty. That's really all I was gonna have to say about that. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Um, let's see if I had to add anything about characters we didn't discuss. Maybe uh, I, I want to throw this out there. Mina Bonteri. Okay, one of the yeah. very one of the very first questions we ever got on this podcast was whether or not there was some discontinuity between the Queen Shadow book and the Clone Wars television series. You want to know who sent that question in? I went back Ju- and listened to it. It was Juliana, wasn't it? It was Juliana. Yeah. Nice. And she asked question. And she asked like was there discontinuity there? And at the time we were like, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll try to look into it and like get back to you." And we didn't. And so I'm That's sorry, right. but now we're getting into <laughs> Here it. Here we are. And so I went, I went back and watched the Clone Wars TV show, and I think she was actually right because this book does say that, uh, or you know, it shows how she meets Mina Monteri. But if you go back and watch the episode of Clone Wars Heroes on both sides, uh, Padme states that Mina Monteri was actually her mentor while growing up on Naboo, which is mm-hmm. oh my god, not at really? all the case. Whoa. So, uh, Juliana, you called it good stuff, and I'm glad that we were able to close close that uh investigation yeah that is a very good point and i I totally forgot about that and that's very uncharacteristic of ek uh, yeah i I will say like as much research as she did like a lot of the stuff was really on point that she pulled a lot of this i don't know how she missed that yeah a lot of a lot of checks and balances had to be missed for that detail to be missed. yeah so i'm wondering if if this was the story group deciding okay maybe this will now i i think we always play retconning you think it's retconning i I think it is that i don't know Honestly, I think I don't know the inter- where Mina Bonteri and Padme met might not be super high on their uh, on their list. Yeah, Poe and Ray can meet whenever they want; it doesn't matter. Exactly. Well, my friends, um, thank you for tuning into the part one of the fabled Queen's Shadow Roundtable. We'll be back next week with part two. Keep your eyes out in Discord and Twitter for the timing on that. But on that note. That'll do it. If you are new to this show, again, don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and tune in every single week to hear us at Utini talk about the Star Wars Expanded Universe. If you're looking to buy some of these books, whether it be Queen's Shadow or pre-ordering Queen's Peril, and you want to help support this show, look up your book on Utini, click the Amazon link on the profile, and we'll get a few cents to help keep the lights on. If you'd like to help us out more directly, you can find us on patreon.com Utini or on TeePublic. Where our t-shirt designs, including the handmaiden We Are Brave shirt, are now live. If you are an Inquisitor tier or up, head over to Patreon right now to join us for Aftermath, our exclusive after-show hangout. And a special thank you, as always, to Adam Dyson and Patrick Ortiz on our Jedi High Council, and Timothy Dunlap on our Alliance High Command for your amazing support. You can find us on Twitter. I am at Eric Eilerson. Corey is at DocStarWarsMD. Charles is at C. Hankel. A special thank you, as always, to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, Freddie, our producer, and Wes, our community manager. Thank you to Corey and Charles for podcasting with me. And as always, may the force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it, live by it, and above all, trust in the living force. That's all for this week. Join our community and surround yourself with like-minded fans by visiting us online 
at utini.com. Until next time, may the force be with you. How many times has this happened to you? I just finished reading Luke Skywalker in the Shadows of Mindor, but what should I read next? Worry not, Star Wars fans, because Utini is here to save the day. What's a Utini? Utini.com is the place to go before you pick up that next Star Wars EU novel. From A-Wings to Zori Bliss, let the team at Utini be your guide to all things EU. Legends to canon, Utini has you covered. Hey there, Padawan. You look like you're a Yoda fan. I sure am. He's the coolest. Then use Utini's super search engine to discover novels and comics that feature our short green friend. So visit Utini.com today because now there's a better way to discover the Star Wars Expanded Universe. And now live on the website, the Utini Bookshelf 3.0. 3.0 is the way to go.